but the bush years were bad you say <laughs> uh yeah that's uh very understated i mean how much well have people really I've, just, I've never like, been accused of understatement before <laughs> how much people just convince themselves like that it wasn't that bad like how how e- why not how but why was it so easy for people to convince themselves that like yeah bush wasn't that bad come on like do well, we have I that short it's... of a memory or do we think that trump is worse than he is it's both and it's material conditions, right? Like uh, yeah. you, you you always look back with rose-colored glasses to some extent and it's like, oh, well, things weren't that bad for me then. I was still fine. I still had a job, blah, blah, blah. You yeah. know, and uh, for certain uh, people that aren't the worst off in society who never really hit rock bottom when the financial crisis of before happened, you know, it's a little easier to yeah. overlook some things. <laughs> But is that I mean is that just rose colored glasses or is there actually some sort of I don't know push on the left to just kind of be a little more forgiving of a No no it's it's no. a massive P- PR operation by like these ghouls uh, that are like the Bill Crystal and you know uh, David Froome yeah. types who are intimately uh, involved David Froome. In don't, the David Froome. don't mention David Froome. Don't mention David Froome around. I will get, I will get angry. All the worst parts. <laughs> Of yeah. those years and are just now basically trying to buy the Democratic Party wholesale because, you know, Bush was such a resounding failure that Republicans, you know, totally rebranded in a sense. It, you know, again, well, the actual to. substance, yeah. the substance of what their actual policies do, not really any different, but the way that they brand and pitch themselves, completely different. Like Bush was the quote unquote compassionate conservative, you know, who, yeah. what, I don't know. It yeah. was a like, it was true, different that, time. That went out the he window, was, didn't he? Was it? A man, he was a man who like at least played at being religious and having some sort of a moral compass. Whereas Well, I think he, he did have some like, sort of genuine religious conviction, right? He he was maybe. a born again Christian. Like yeah. th- the extent that that was a cynical ploy for votes, you can debate, but like sure. he did, you know, go from a washed up alcoholic to, you know, <laughs> a very successful politician. Yeah, yeah. And then a phenomenal Um, painter. I would like to take a moment to welcome our listeners to the Long Road Podcast. I'm Sasha. Trevor. And uh, we have uh, Simon, our guest, on again. So, Thanks for um, having me back, boys. Yeah. yeah. Who uh, talked to us about propaganda, but is now going to talk to us about um, the evils of reading just one book. <laughs> so so uh, the, the book you're referencing, I'll, I'll cut to the chase, you're referencing Harry Potter. So I'll start with an admission here. Uh, so Harry Potter came out when I was a kid. And uh, I think it was like fourth or fifth grade when I read the, mm-hmm. the first Harry Potter book. And, uh, you know, you know, so about that age, 10 ish, I was uh, remember thinking, God, this is awful. And <laughs> I read uh, <laughs> the second one and I was like, why does everyone love this? And I never read any of the other ones. Oh, <laughs> really? I decided oh, I was, as a child. <laughs> I, 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 I read the opposite. I like they're the books that got me to start reading, honestly. Like I was in third Mm -hmm. grade and I started reading the first book and I like slightly ashamed. uh, But like I was one of those 
children who were just completely obsessed, completely obsessed, uh, unhealthily obsessed with Harry Potter. Um, eventually I grew out of it, thankfully. Um, but, so the, but I think it's apparent that a number of people have not, uh, and they post on Twitter, but, uh, okay, which is well, a thing people do, I hear. Well, well and yeah. I, I kind of land in the middle ground between those two opinions on it. Like, I read the books as a kid, but I was also reading, like, other high fantasy at the time. I mean, I grew up reading, like, Redwall. That was, like, my childhood, like, book series. I also read Redwall. But it has a lot more of, like, you know, animals getting, like, killed with swords, and it's not, like, uh, yeah. bloody and gory, but it's, you know, it's, it's written out in a way that's, like, more violent than this kind of uh, pastel Harry Potter stuff. And uh, I think the issue with, like, Harry Potter is that, like, they're pretty accessible books. They're easy to read as kids. Uh, yeah. For kids. And they're not badly written. Like, no. they're... I mean, the, 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 they yeah. are poorly... They're simply written. They're very simply written. Yeah. Um, but the story, I think, is... Um, it's, it's a good little compelling fantasy narrative. It's the usual, uh, like, you know, hero rising up and fighting off some evil tyrannical thing from the past. It's the hero with a thousand faces, the Joseph Campbell arch- archetype. If we want to get into that, yeah, sure. Well, let's talk about it. Like, so, what, what is <laughs> yeah, the hero? With I have no faces? idea what that is. <laughs> okay, so uh, hero with a thousand faces, Joseph Campbell. He's like, um, I guess you'd say like a sociological historian type of figure, and so he wrote this this book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which is basically like an explanation about how like a huge portion of Western myth like follows this. Uh, certain like hero's journey archetype with certain you know other archetypes that if i were to like list them all out individually would be very familiar to you but one thing i'll point out is uh my childhood obsession was star wars and george lucas is probably the most responsible of anyone for bringing this (laughs) into the forefront because the original star wars was explicitly based on it like and he talked about it in tons and tons of interviews and so basically like everything that's copying Star Wars is just also copying that same archetype, which like Lucas himself would tell you was not original to him. He was just like, well, adapting no, like it. based off a lot of those old pulp comics and like uh, John Carter and stuff like that. There are a lot of like ties, not even like ties, but like, pretty direct uh, copies of these like archetypes from other sci-fi stuff around that time that it was just pulled directly into Star Wars. Right. And it's not even just that time. It, you know, if you go back to the original book, it, it's like, you know, all the way back to the Greeks is the stuff he's talking about. And, you know, there are yeah. certain threads you can draw through all this stuff for sure. But, you know, it's it's all a yeah. pomp and circumstance I, at a certain point. Key point being, Harry Potter is also the same hero's journey uh, structure of story completely. Yeah. 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 But I, think so, the, so I also wanted to maybe quickly just discuss just kind of like the broad picture of like well what what is because like the the books themselves like each individual book has this same sort of uh you know the the hero starting off on his adventure running into some conflicts meeting some people along the way resolving some of the conflicts you have the actual full uh crisis comes to a peak then there's resolution at the end that's like the story of each book and the series as a whole because it's seven books if you count the last there's eight books if you count the last two is no, it's yeah, you, can call, you can call it eight. They just, they're all yeah. sequels to each other. They just called the last yeah. two part one and two. But yeah, and then there's all the other stuff afterwards. I, will, I do want to talk about. But um, but it's so so the, I mean, the basic story of Harry Potter for those who haven't read it, uh, it's the story of a trust fund kid who becomes a cop in a strictly apartheid society supplied by slave labor. Um, <laughs> oh, and there's magic. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, that's, that's about um, that. But I think that's, but, but, I mean, that, that's well, the You know, it's 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 Harry Potter modeled on Victorian British society. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like an idealized version of British society. I think it's how yeah, the Brits yeah. see themselves. Because <laughs> um, J.K. Rowling very much like has talked about it, saying like, "Well, this is you know, there's certain things she does because they just are British." Um, yeah, and I think that I think that comes through other ways as well. Um, like she has a terrible way of retconning her own stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But like someone asked her on Twitter, like at one point, like, "Are there any Jewish students at Hogwarts?" And she kind of like smugly grinned and was like, "Well, of course, Anthony Goldstein." Uh, and um, if you don't remember Anthony Goldstein from the books, that's not surprising because he shows up in one of the last books and has like three speaking lines where he's like, "Yeah, sure thing, Harry," and that's it. Um, but he—he's the Jewish character in, in Harry Potter. Um, you know, Goldstein. Any anytime your only Jewish character is <laughs> named Goldstein, that's that's like a red yeah. flag right away. Well, and <laughs> the other the other like relatively credible accusation of anti-Semitism there, or at least mm, the yeah. look of it, is yeah. the the goblins who run the bank. Oh, is, is there some problem yeah. with banking goblins? Is that maybe be uh, something you don't want to include in a a children's book? Yeah. Uh, just positing uh, the idea out there, you know. <laughs> uh, let's let's just say there's a little history there that's uh not uh not good history, I Wait, guess. Wait, so, so, so short people with big hooked noses controlling all of the gold and being part of some sort of, you know, sneaky society that is uh, kind Buries of... Buries it in a mysterious vault system beneath, you know, underground. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but oh, one, of the, 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 one of the things I think is uh, pretty common with uh, the way Rowling has, like, updated her own books is that... Uh, People point, look at this stuff. They point out like, okay, so yeah, sh- okay, sure. Anthony Goldstein's Jewish. Throughout the entirety of the books, they 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 have you know Christmas, and Christmas is like a big deal at Hogwarts in the books. Like they have even yeah. like in the movies. The movies like the Christmas scenes are beautiful. And there's always lights up everywhere, and there's trees, and there's snow, and it's just like, yeah. And it's never once really addressed in the the movies or the books. Like. Oh yeah, and there there are Jewish students who are also you know participating in or any other religious yeah. students. It's just Christians, and yeah. that's something you see. I think that, that that's kind of the British side coming through. This kind of yeah. like well, ideal British. Oh, exactly. Here's um, here's yeah, another yeah. thing. Uh, they're they're all uh, magicians and uh, they're right. worshiping Christ. <laughs> What's up with that? Maybe yeah. Christ was a wizard. Who knows? Um, was was Christ a wizard? Now that's that's a book I want to read. <laughs> yeah, well, we can tweet curious. J.K. Rowling and find out. We can get her wreck on the series. Was Jesus a wizard? Ah. Actually, he started in the Wizarding Order, which was the original Catholic Church. And you've heard about the schism? Well, that's how the magic world started. I mean, that at least would be much more interesting as a history. But well, yeah, I'd read the hell out that, of that. That wouldn't be, would be bad at all. Fuck. Maybe we can try and actually like. Can we will this into being? I don't can know. Just, like you know. I mean, are you saying that you want? All three of us to write some some fan fiction. <laughs> no, no, because, because, <laughs> because that, that's the other problem. Is that like this the fan historical fiction? fiction. <laughs> historical fan fiction about Jesus Christ and Harry Potter. Yeah, that sounds. Uh. <laughs> okay, but that's the thing. It's like the, 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 she also has taken a lot of like fan fiction stuff and put it into the more recent um, like adapt, ad, ad, adaptations from the series, uh, like Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. It's based okay. on a ton of fan fiction. 
which she just kind of took a bunch of fan fiction online and just cobbled it together. It was like, oh, yeah, this is well, – and she didn't write it. She actually, It was written by somebody else, and she just kind of put the actual stamp of approval on it saying this is all canon. Um, wow. While, while also simultaneously coming out and being like, oh, there's a bunch of stuff that's just wrong in there. Um, like one of the big ones is that like their little time travel devices that they have only go back five hours. And so we can't really have Harry Potter going back in time and meeting Jesus, unfortunately. Um, one of the, the other issue like that like movie or the the, the play had was that um, uh, the person they chose to cast as uh, Hermione Granger was black, yeah. and this caused the usual kind of reactionary outcry from racists who were like, "No, like white Hermione is the only Hermione," and uh, same with the issue like you know with um, I think it was Ariel the Disney princess who they're recasting mm-hmm. as black for the live action. And there was also outcry about that. It's the same group of people who are kind of like, no, my version in my yeah. head works as white. And therefore, so, so, she's white. so not, not only like, is it the same uh, assholes every time, but it's such a common phenomenon now that there's actually corporate sock puppeting that happens for some of these now where there's essentially corporate sock puppet accounts that act racist once and then have hundreds and hundreds or thousands of accounts say, nah, I love this Disney property or whatever it is. It's, it's all very, very wow. cynical online. <laughs> yeah. Me. But I mean, but the, the reaction that Rowling had when there was this kind of racist outcry against her was again, this kind of retconning of the series. It, it wasn't to say, I mean, the, the easy answer always is when someone's it's like, uh, Guys, it's fantasy. Like you can yeah. the character whoever you want. It doesn't really matter. I like Yeah. And but also instead, in theater, was... colorblind casting has been a standard or close to a standard for a long time, with exceptions. But well, the, the, an interesting uh corollary here maybe is Hamilton, which is uh, also an obsession of liberals and uh in the theater world is uh, yeah. given a lot of credit for breaking certain color barriers and how things are represented, which I think says more about like the state of Broadway and high theater than what Hamilton did maybe, but you know, yeah. it certainly did like bust that open. Like before Hamilton, yeah. Broadway did not cast people like in a quote unquote race inappropriate ways. You know, it's very, yeah. very strange. And liberals love Hamilton right up there with Harry Potter as a, a main yeah. uh, fictional vessel for, for I mean, their politics. And, and as with many things, uh, it ignores a lot of the realities behind it. Like in the case of Hamilton, uh, to my, in my understanding though, I've never seen it. They didn't talk about the whiskey rebellion, which Hamilton directly caused. Um, and in the case of like JK Rowling, she has some pretty toxic politics of her own. Uh, that have influenced her retconning. Yeah, no, I mean, she's uh, expressed uh, TERF ideas, or maybe I should not just say TERF, I should say what the actual uh, acronym stands for, which is uh, Trans-Exclusionary Radical Feminism. Uh, She's expressed these ideas, um, both in tweets she's written, uh, it was Maya, what was the woman's name? Maya Farrow, Maya, um, uh, it was uh, Maya Forstar, for starter, uh, who was a researcher who said like uh, men can't be women. It was like a direct response to some trans thing. And um, yeah, J.K. Rowling like, said like you know I stand with her. You know like don't force women out of their jobs for saying that sex is a real thing. And she's retweeted a lot of folks, and it's gotten kind of minor 
like kickback on Twitter, mostly kind of, uh, I think because actual leftists who care, <laughs> uh, aren't on Twitter as much. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's, so she has some toxic politics, particularly, uh, the turf politics, but she's also been a significant supporter of the labor party in Britain, uh, in particular, the, the Blairite faction of the labor party. So it's not just, uh, so, so it's, it's her personal, like feminist politics. If, we can even call turfism feminism, which is highly debatable. Um, but also that she takes a rather conservative stance within a rather conservative party, which is the Labour Party. So um, a lot of that stands as kind of the backdrop to to a retconning that goes on. Well, and I, uh, what I wanted to address with the retconning, too, is it's not that it's this looking back at her own work and saying, well, yes, sure. Uh, Hermione can be black. Yes, sure, uh, Dumbledore can be gay. It's looking back at it and saying, that's how I always intended it to be. It, yeah. It's, ret- it's, it's retconning not just like the actual text, but saying that, well, I believe this the entire way through. Um, and in response to someone actually asking her about uh, the Dumbledore's character being gay and asking whether or not that was something that she intended to have in the series from the beginning... Uh, she, I'm trying to remember what the actual tweet was now because it's just annoying. It was, well, I think if we learn anything from Harry Potter, it's that no one should be forced to live in a closet. Uh... And the, the problem that I think is not just that, like, that liberals love Harry Potter as a fantasy series, but they hold it as some sort of archetype of uh, the resistance, especially against Trump. Yeah. Um, there's a ton as, of... It's like a political guidebook in a way. Yeah. And Well, I, it's, I, it's a simple story, right? With a clear good and evil, happy ending delineation, right? Mm-hmm. It, but that's not how the real world is, right? Yeah. And like you said, well, Harry basically became a cop. Like, you yeah, know? well, and, and the, you know, and the evil loses by a technicality uh, because right. he fucked up in some way. Uh but not because of any like real concerted resistance that challenged the worldview uh, of that evil. But it also right. does have some of that fetishization of the evil too, where it's not just yeah. like, oh, these people are, uh, I mean, fascist wizards essentially. Um, but it's like, well, but also this one person who seems really sweet is making like these children carve into the back of their hands to like punish them, and it's like, so it's it's saying that like, well, just being you know, a fascist who believes that wizards are like the highest beings possible and are, you know, everyone else should be subservient slave-like creatures. Well, that's not really the real evil thing. These people are, you know, right. also just, they're just well, well, here's Here's another thing, though, is in the world she's created, it's also like objectively true, right? That the wizards are more powerful than normal people, right? And right. like, if, like, basically the fascist visionary of the Harry Potter world his essential premise is correct. And you're just saying that that's bad because it's not right to kill people. And that's essentially it. So essentially you're just conceding that the fascist is correct, but rude. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, um, liberals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and th- that's not, I think just solely a Harry Potter issue of like, well, uh, I think like, you know, there's a lot of politics coming out like with, 
like uh, I'm trying to think of a good example from Star Wars. I know there has to be one. <laughs> well, well, something I, I I sort of was thinking about with what you were saying is Lucas and uh, Rowling are in this sort of similar position where uh, their work has grown far bigger than they themselves could have ever made it. You know, it's it's moved beyond their creation and their vision into something bigger. It's part of culture yeah. and like each one to maybe a slightly different generation of people was just a shared experience of this, you know, major archetypical story. So that's part of why it's a reference point for everyone. And part of what I was thinking about when you were talking was the fact that they've both gone and tried to retcon their work to change it, to make it more to their taste because it's gone out of their control. And it now represents so many different things to so many different people because there's these big universalist stories. They're sort of just trying to grasp and still make it their own, even though the genie's out of the bottle. You know, it's uh, these yeah. things are woven into culture forever, whether we like it or not. So, I guess my question then is, you know, why is it that uh, people seem to associate the liberals seem to associate their resistance type movement more with Harry Potter, which is a bunch of children trying to overthrow the government, as opposed to Star Wars, which is a bunch of adults trying to overthrow the government. Um, well, uh, <laughs> Star Wars was also uh, heavily influenced by the Vietnam War, and George Lucas also said the rebels were the Viet Cong, so that might be part of it. I think that's definitely part of it. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely part of it, though, though the politics of trying to bring back a republic are kind of, like, dubious. Uh, <laughs> sure. So, yeah, I, I think it's also that, like... Um, a lot of the challenging of authority that happens in Harry Potter happens in the context of uh, school, right? You know, it's, it's based off of British boarding schools and the authority of the school is never fundamentally questioned. Uh, the authority of the ministry uh, of magic is never fundamentally questioned by the characters. They all, you know, they all say, Oh, well, you know, the it just needs to be different people. Exactly. Yeah, the bad people got in charge, and that's what makes um, things bad. The actual structures whereas, are fine. Whereas right. Star they never, Wars... They're never challenging yeah. the actual hierarchy. Yeah, whereas in Star Wars, it's uh, a conflict between how you structure power, not who gets to have it necessarily. Um, because even even the original Republic in Star Wars was like, yeah, they had a Senate, but most of the senators were appointed by like, I don't know. I, I haven't read all the stuff and I don't know all the canon, whatever, but my understanding is that they were all like appointed by monarchs. So not all, but some, many, <laughs> many, most perhaps, um, in, not really like, covered in many ways, in films. <laughs> not really covered in the films, but like, I, we do know though, that like the political structures that, that exist were not really great to begin with. And, but it, but at least in Star Wars, that is questioned a little bit uh, because you have an actual resistance to, you know, to the imperial design. That's true. And and in Harry Potter, if I'm remembering the the films, which I have seen correctly, even when he you know finds out like people that he trusted did things wrong or people that he mistrusted, yeah. you know, he still is like doesn't question the structure. He's like, oh well. Okay, yeah. <laughs> just moves on. I guess I'm still fighting for this. Whereas, you know, the whole arc of the original Star Wars trilogy is about, in part, like Vader realizing his mistakes and how he's lived, you know, uh, yeah. 
trying to uh, repent, in a sense, at the end of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, <laughs> at least in a sense. Um, I'm still trying to wrap my head around why liberals have the fascination with Harry Potter specifically. Um, well, I think it's honestly, I think part of it's also class, right? So there's a pretty significant, I, I would say that liberals are generally associated with the middle class. Um, that, that liberalism specifically is, is kind of a middle class ideology right now. Uh, Increasingly in America, it's an upper class ideology. Actually, yeah. if you follow the polling, uh, that yes, that's, that's true. There's been a marked shift in that direction over the last twenty years. Yeah, but you know, Harry Potter started in like the late '90s and went through the thousands at a time when middle class was kind of separated between conservatism and left liberalism, um, and uh, I think part of it is that. Harry Potter is fundamentally kind of a, a middle class story, right? A kid run, you know, gets to, you know, trust fund kid gets to run off to a private boarding school, you know, in, in Scotland. Uh, and that's something that like, you know, like, especially like upper middle class people, they can afford to do that for their own kids. And it's something that a lot of middle class people would hope that they would be able to, to do if they wanted. So I think, well, and I think there is some compelling it's a, part of it. Yeah. It's like you know, it, it's the story about a kid growing up in an abusive household who escapes that, um, right? Kind of by like you know, providence. It's just like you know, luck turns yeah. out that hey, uh, you're a wizard, get a leave and go to this boarding school. Um, but like the class issues in Harry Potter, are, like they're addressed slightly, where there are like the wealthy wizards and there are the poor wizards, yeah. And but they all get to go to the boarding school. It's, it's yeah. an egalitarian society for wizards. They don't have this kind of class divide but, that really affects the characters directly. I mean, but they the, all have middle class values. I guess that's what I'm saying. They all have yeah. British middle class values, yeah, British, which is yeah. kind of British its own thing. Class. Like it is. Harry Potter is so painfully English. Like I feel like you can't really <laughs> divorce it from English yeah. society and how it's representing that. Because like, like the boarding school thing, like how that tracks with British class society is pretty accurate. And British class is a little, little more obvious than American class divisions too. You know, yeah. um, in America, we don't really have boarding schools in lots of parts of the country. Like the Northeast yeah. does to some extent. Um, yeah. but yeah. I definitely most, you know, went to college with some kids that went to boarding school, but that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, mo and most private schools are for religion, uh, rather than, you know, being something about, uh, you know, getting a better education necessarily. Right. And even if they are like a magnet school, that's like a higher education level, it's still typically like local with no actual boarding. Yeah. Right. In, in most cases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so and I guess it might be tied to the fact that the, you know, the, the jump toward boarding school culture in the U S has kind of been, uh, dissuaded by seeing the abuses that go on at British boarding schools. Oh yeah. Um, um there's and not I, much drive to have that be a, a uh, paradigm here. No. And I also think that, I mean, getting back to like, I don't know, I, that's another interesting distinction I think with, with star Wars is that like Luke Skywalker is like clearly working class. Like, yeah. like a moisture farm like come on <laughs> I, I, I would say poor like not yeah. working. like he's he, they're literally yeah, farming poor. moisture out of sand to survive yeah like <laughs> yeah that's not a life basically um 
Yeah. And so he would do almost anything to get off, you know, to get off that planet, to, to get out of there, which, um, you know, Harry's like Harry Potter's like main concern when he's there is that he won't get kicked out. So like those are pretty major differences in their concerns about authority. Okay, so so what's the solution then? The liberals just need to read <laughs> another book or just look at yes, more please. like everyone definitely needs to read more books, new ones. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. like that that's part of it is just the shared experience and time of Harry Potter. And as people age, like it's gonna age out a little bit. Part of it is yeah. like all the all the media tastemakers that, you know, obsess about Harry Potter on Twitter or whatever. They're all in their twenties and thirties and read it when they were kids. You know, it's just it's just yeah. a shared psychological experience. That's that's definitely yeah. a big layer of it. Now, I think there's this this additional layer of like how it tracks with their politics is interesting, but you know, it, it'll it'll become another thing over time. Yeah, um, I can. I really hope so because I, uh, I I cannot stand another person comparing like. Um, I don't know, Betsy DeVos, Dolores Umbridge or something. Or Elizabeth Warren to Hermione. Oh, God, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you, you just have to see it as, like, these people are just engaging in politics superficially, and so try to engage them on something real instead, yeah. you know? Because, like, I think just that's what it is. That, that's what bugs me yeah. the most about it, is that it is this superficial level. It feels like they're just playing with politics. They're well, living in a fantasy world that's directly part of a fantasy world, well, it's, it's also that we have so much detachment from politics and the feeling that we can materially do anything about our politics that people have to sort of retreat into fantasy because it's all they have in most cases. Because, yeah. you know, like like I live in California, whether I vote for Joe Biden or not truly does not matter to whether he wins this state. But like people would still hector me to do it. You know, they're yeah. still going to try Which, whether I whether I no matter what I say, the pressure is uh, going to be there. Right. Yeah, and it's like there's more no, no, politics uh, uh, than just voting than for that, the Democratic nominee. <laughs> if if Joe Biden really? loses, people like us are going to be the scapegoats. Even if we vote for Joe Biden, there's something that well, you guys are the Bernie Bros, and you're the ones who actually helped uh, Biden. Win hey, this hey man, hey, he said no. in an interview, <laughs> hey, listen here, Mac. Tara Reid, you shouldn't vote for him. So he that's like, a get out of jail free card. You know, honestly, that like, really I'm, is. I, I'm I'm taking him at his word on that. He's told, yep. uh, I think three times now, folks to not vote for him for believing Terry Reed for believing uh, that he's not going to do enough for climate change and and there was a third one too where he had it's, it's his go-to strategy when he's challenged yeah. is just say oh don't vote for me then it's a very yeah. very well, convincing. It's, a t- it's a tough guy act which is like you know the idea is that somebody who makes a statement like that couldn't possibly be you know lying about what they're doing because they out you know because you assume they want your vote What's funny um, also is that like but, Biden is actually like there's more record of him lying than most politicians. Like everyone knows politicians lie. Yeah. Biden had to drop out of the idiot presidential campaign because of a plagiarism scandal. Like well, he, he just, lies yeah. all just the recently time said about he was everything. like there in uh, apartheid South Africa, like helping Nelson Mandela out. And it's like, yeah, that, that's yeah, just no, from January. Plain weren't like, yeah, you're just making shit up. Well, and. And he doesn't have really much else that's compelling about him, I, which is why I think that he's probably going to lose to Donald Trump in November, uh, is because when you have two lying rapists 
uh, the one who can get people to actually go out and vote is going to be the one who wins, and Biden can't do that. Um, this all assumes there's even going to be an election. That, November, which we're we're, we're operating under that assumption. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. I I really don't know. Um, I mean, that but, that's maybe a, a topic for a different episode, but, uh, you know, there Trump is putting in political appointees at the post office. He's uh, right. accusing Biden currently of, like, doing illegal things in the last election that are mostly yeah. unsubstantiated. And, and the Justice Department just dropped charges against Flynn, who, like, pled guilty twice. Um, I mean, uh, Bill yeah. Barr at the Justice Department was brought in because he's the guy that made around Contra go away in George Bush the first was like, oh, speaking yeah. of the legacy of Republicans being evil, like around yeah. Contra, Bill Barr shut that shit down before they could make the connections, which have basically been proven, but are not widely yeah. publicly yeah. known uh, between George H.W. Bush and all that shit completely directly. He was yeah. overseeing all kinds of stuff. He ran yeah. the CIA's yeah. oil company guys. Like, wow. <laughs> like, well, yeah. Well, and right. If we just point out to Republicans that, uh, if it were liberals doing this, that they'd be all up in arms, then we can win against them. Right. Um, what, what planet? <laughs> right, well, like, liberals live on apparently the fantasy Harry Potter planet. I don't fucking yeah, know. Like but, I, I think, I think really like we can dance around it, but I, I think really what it comes down to is that a lot of, uh, middle-class liberalism is detached from like what we, what we on the left call the material conditions. Uh, because, you know, just quick rundown, most of like leftism, socialism, anarchism is based on the idea that political conditions are what determine political reality. Uh, and when you detach your understanding of politics from those material conditions, then you don't have a good sense of what political reality is. Uh, it just becomes a game, you know, it becomes rhetoric, uh, you know, and logic and argumentation and calling names. Uh, when there's, there's a lot of gamesmanship that like liberals specifically engage in, which some of it almost makes sense, except yeah, they're not playing by the material conditions of the actual political right. reality around them. And the, I, yeah. I, I mean, like I want to look at like like Al Franken, like you know, getting removed from Congress during the the Me Too era because he, yeah. because of a you know actually pretty reasonable scandal, which was you know that yeah there were allegations made against him of him you know groping this woman. Uh, they he he said, "Yeah, I did it. I'm stepping down." And liberals saw that I think as a win for them that they had someone who was a fairly progressive yeah. liberal uh, congressman stepping out of power. I think they saw that as a win because, like, look, Al Franken stepped down. Now we got Republicans. They can't target us anymore for you know us not playing by the rules yeah. that are set up now in this, well, this game that they have. Yeah. It, well, the thing is that in this game, uh, liberals are the only people who think they're following the rules. Uh, you know, conservative, the conservative movement in America has been playing material politics for decades, which is why the rules don't really matter to them. Uh, right. The only so, rules are to not yeah. focus on actual things that material matter, right? Like, yeah. whenever conservatives complain about identity politics, it's the perfect time to, like, try and bring up material conditions and explain this to people because, like, to the extent that they don't like it, it's because they've made it an issue to distract from the economic issues that are supposedly, you know, more important. Like conservatives right. drive social issues as hot button issues because, 
most people don't care. It's not that they're like hateful bigots or super pro trans or whatever. Yeah. Most people just do not care, do not think about these things at a basic level. And don't level. want to think about it. Right. And um, they'll they'll usually come out, you know, on the right side if you take the time to compassionately talk to them, but you can't, you know, no one has the time to do that for every single yeah. person. Right. So, you know, you have to focus, you have to meet people where they are, right? Yeah. And to the extent that conservatives are mad that we're talking about things that don't matter, it's because they're forcing that conversation with their immense capital advantage in the media. Right. Um, so I think that I, I, I think this, this is a lot of the frustration that I think we have that, that we on the left have for the way many liberals treat politics Uh is this frust- we have this frustration that they don't look at what's going on, like what's actually going on, and understand that when the other side doesn't care about the rules anymore, um, it doesn't you help can't either. You can't rules. either. Well, right, there like, are yeah, no rules. Like it's, when it's, people refuse to follow those rules, there are no rules anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's a massive indictment of the American left that we haven't already like seen like sabotage of like you know the concentration camps that ISIS is running, for example, yeah. right? Like, clearly, like the left is just too weak to organize that because no one person can do that on their own, right? It's no. not you're not going to have a a lone gunman going crazy and setting people free. Like, I mean, it it was tried and he was killed. Yeah, um, exactly, exactly. You know, yeah. And well, there is a John Brown miniseries coming. Okay. <laughs> it's from the like, like TV series or what, what do you mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. Cool. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I, well, I, I think, it, I think it's also that, um, resistance like that is extremely scary. Right. Yeah. Uh, because, well, uh, I think part of it is uh, we're run by a death cult, right? The right. Republicans, yeah. as yeah. they exist, are a death cult. They worship death. They want everyone to die except themselves. Liberals yeah. fear death. They don't want death. They they resist the death cult, and thus it's it's hard to fight death if you're so afraid of it that you'll completely you know resist it for yourself, right? right. Until there's people right. that are you know unafraid of the yeah. consequences to themselves for whatever they do. Yeah, it, which is nothing's going to happen. Like I which is why I think that you're not going to see significant material resistance, like significant meaningful like history changing resistance until uh things get so bad that failure to resist is a death sentence too. That's I mean, when well, well, that's you know that's now, when political you know, change it becomes possible in America, I think. See, I, I... I I think that is a charming notion that uh, once things get bad enough that people will, you know, have an actual leftist resistance in this country. Um, that leads really scarily into accelerationism. <laughs> I, the, well, yeah, sure. Let's just vote for Trump I mean, next term because then things is, will get bad enough people will actually fight the system. And I there mean, are folks it, who think that way. That's not to be discouraged. Like, even even aside from whether, like, accelerationism works or not, like, it's just the fact of the matter is that we're losing, right? And I, yeah. I'm, I'm very pessimistic. It's not a, 
it's not a like, oh, if only the left does this, if only the left does that. I'm no. not sure there's anything the left can do. I think anytime I, the left has tried to get organized in the last 40 years, they've been systematically jailed and murdered. Uh, you know, from the Black Panthers to the anti-war movement, like those people are just disappeared mm-hmm. until the people that are actually moving the needle are gone or corrupted, right? And yeah. fascism is ascendant. It controls all levers of power. What are we really doing here? You know, like until liberals have the psychic break to understand what like leftists already understand about the realities of the state and society, nothing's going to change. And that's not going to change until, you know, uh, a lot of people have suffered a lot more first, unfortunately. And I, I mean, yeah. it, it, it so might take the election being canceled this year, which I think is a strong possibility because there's certainly not going to be a vaccine by then. And there's certainly going to be a lot more people with the virus by then. Uh, well, that's, in, that's in many all- ways, though, forcing the election is a good idea for Republicans then uh, because fewer people will vote and that's always good for them. Yeah. And that's why they're trying to juke the ability to do vote by mail. Exactly. Right. Uh, right. But th- again, that's assuming that it even happens at all without some sort of like, oh, you know, who knows what excuse they'd, they'll say anything. You keep, like trying to predict yeah. it is a fool's game. See, I, I think even if we have an election, even if Joe Biden wins, Trump's not going to leave the White House willingly. He's going to gin up his supporters. They're going to go to like local state houses carrying rifles as they've been doing right now for yeah. they shut down the Michigan legislature like that. Yeah. This is a, like failed state yeah. status. You have armed resistance groups shutting right. down your local governments like this is and even, failed state and stuff. even more scarily. They're doing that around regular garden variety conservatives who are starting to say the same shit as they are. So well, you're not having they're, like they're fully supporting them. I, I have not seen yeah. any conservatives in any aspect of the media being like, this is not okay. I see a lot well, of liberals I'm not talking their hands about on like, the media oh, no, though. Oh, I, I, I'm saying social I'm media. I'm talking about on anyone. the ground. I haven't seen anyone from the right side of politics yeah. in the country saying what these people are doing is just pure, not, not evil, and just, I, it's horrifying. It, it, it's just terrorism. Yeah, and it's, I think that 10 years ago, you might have seen that from garden variety conservatives. Not anymore, though. No, they're, they're all in the Trump cult. They're, they're all yeah. in on the Trump cult. And, like, yeah. honestly, they're going to be all in on the Trump cult until the orange man dies. And, like, whether that's, like, him stroking out on the toilet or, you know, something something else, like, he's, he's president for, for a long time. <laughs> like, he's not going anywhere. Uh, on that note, I do have to go somewhere. I will be right back. <laughs> no worries. I, I think that the scary thought when we think about, you know, uh, Trump not leaving office and uh, liberals not really having a good, uh, realistic response to that is that yeah. a lot of liberals are going to respond to this by saying, well, he's not playing by the rules. And I think they will hang yeah. on to that mentality far beyond the point where anything can be done yeah. using standard means to remove a, a dictator from office. Um, yeah. Because I think at a certain point, if he just can't, I mean, he's kind of talking about, you know, getting rid of the postal service, which I think if you look yeah. at things that like, that we, uh, that society generally has uh, agreed taxation is good for like repairing the roads. The postal service is actually in the constitution. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And the idea of just like, well, it's just yeah. going bankrupt. Oops. It's like, how? 
but no, well, they just, killed they, it. You're just accepting it. They're just kind of like, oh yeah. yeah, well, it's going bankrupt. Everybody buys stamps, and that's like I, I, every time I see that, I was lose my by, uh, George mind. W. Bush. By the way, that there was an act passed. Uh, 2006 some, yeah 2006 exactly you you know like, I don't, yeah it's it's like the postal accountability act i think like uh where they forced the postal service to prepay like 30 years i think or 50 years of yeah. their employees their and future employees pension fund which is a requirement that no other business on the planet has uh and, and so they went also from required that they they can't charge above cost for anything they do, right? Um, so <laughs> they went from having like a like a hundred million dollars in profits uh, to like three billion dollars in losses overnight. Um, yes, but, but but my point is that the response from liberals to that of just saying, "Well, everybody go out and buy stamps," that's going to save the postal service. That doesn't make sense. It's a vital well, part of our like infrastructure in this country that is in the Constitution that's been bankrupted yeah. by politicians in our lifetime. Why is the response, mm-hmm. go out and spend money? Because yeah, consumer, well, consumer activism is all Americans understand, right? That's why people are so like violently opposed to boycotts sometimes or even just the idea yeah. of boycotts. You I know? mean when, there's been these massive strikes against you know Amazon in the midst of a pandemic that's probably going to make Jeff Bezos like the first trillionaire. And still, people I know, like family members who are liberals, like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I know that there's a strike going on, but I, I really did need something online today, and so I did order it off Amazon. <sighs> Oops. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, there's, there's other sites out there, guys. There's just <laughs> this apathy, though. It's this apathy and this, this – I mean, I, I brought up earlier the fact that liberals love to try and call out hypocrisy from Republicans, and it just doesn't work because they don't care. They're not playing by the same rules anymore. But yeah. liberals are such fucking hypocrites. Like, yeah. Oh God, I mean, I think that, especially we brought Tara Reid earlier. I think that the Tara Reid accusations against Joe Biden have finally proven once and for all that the Democrats, as a party, never really gave a shit about the Me Too movement. No. Um, yeah. That they didn't I mean, even give a shit about Kavanaugh. I think they just didn't care. It was like they could. No, I mean they base. they validated a lot of the conservative criticisms of Kavanaugh because the conservative criticism was that it was all just cynical, trying to you know ruin the the man, you know, basically. And uh, all these liberals in D.C. are basically like, "Yep," because uh, Biden's campaign manager or whatever her official title is done from SDK Knickerbocker was also the chief point person for Weinstein's defense team, you know, <laughs> like, yep. Yeah. It's a big club and we're not in it, but, but still there's, there's the, those connections in like high politic or, I mean, even this high legal circles where folks are just like, well, you are really good at uh, doing this kind of uh, def- social defense against um, uh, sexual accusations. Well, just come work for us. And sure, we've been saying that you're evil and the work you do is evil for the past five years. But just come work for us instead because uh, you're really good at it. <laughs> and, well, and, not, and not seeing that and not seeing the hypocrisy. They, they, also, they also know – well, some of them do actually see the hypocrisy. Like they know it's hypocrisy and they don't care. Um, you know, the the, the people who, who like – announced that they were, you know, that they didn't believe Tara Reid and that they were going to support Joe Biden. A lot of them had, like, statements that they made that, you know, 
that women should be believed when they when they make accusations like, like this. And they went and and got and like erased those statements. But not even like women should be believed when they make statements about you know sexual assault. But when yeah. uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren accused Bernie yeah. Sanders of saying that a woman could not be president. And maybe she didn't accuse him of that because she never specifically said that. It was CNN said one of her aides said that who heard it from somebody else. And, and the whole thing is is convoluted. But the response from a lot of these same liberals was, well, haven't we been saying for years, believe all women, and now you're just going to not believe her because she's a woman? And it's like, okay, short limit, with like a month after that, these, like, the newest, like, batch of terror accusations came out. And yeah. It was like, okay, so it's, are we going to believe all women or not? And the answer from the liberals has been no. Well, you know, we're from not. the Democratic establishment. It's cynical in a way that is like specifically anti-women and that's why it's hard because it's like when you, when you actually fulfill these stereotypes of like, well, yeah, we are just going to cynically like use this to our political advantage. You're just saying that women's autonomy is just a political tool and isn't important. (laughs) And and can be discarded if it is no longer useful. It it, it makes women uh, the, the, uh, like, like for 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 all the sexism, like pulsing through American society that Trump brought to the front, because like Trump's election was part of sparking the Me Too movement, because like you have an avowed open rapist like being president, not just oh, yeah. someone who everyone knew was probably a rapist, like your Bill Clinton types before, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, that's the phrase. It, the word I remember earlier. It, it, it's make it's allowing women to just be collateral damage, so that these politicians can get into place. But yeah, but just to, to have Joe Biden for this moment, it's just a slap in the face to anyone that actually believes in any of this. Like it does. It's just it's literally insulting. And like, I don't I don't understand how they just like stiff up or lip their way through it. You know, like it's it's so gross. <laughs> well, I think it goes to demonstrate that English culture, including its transplanting here, is an affront to all of human society. <laughs> I know some folks in the northern part of somewhere that would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like we need to institute like need to make it a part of human culture that we uh no more stiff upper lips, we complain about everything. <laughs> oh my god, bring back Catholicism. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Because no, because no, if the option ends up being either, um, you know, this American evangelicalism, which is you know this uh, Trump is better than Jesus sort of mindset, which I mean honestly we have to probably talk at some point about whether or not the Trump cult is going to supplant American evangelicalism because uh, eh. I think they, they might meld into some new thing, which you know. Well, it's uh, it's been melding for a long time, uh, like yeah. the 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 you know high dollar preacher mega's church thing has been going for a few decades and like essentially it's a the calvinist uh tradition of america of like you know wealth equals worth in the eyes of god God. shows you to be wealthy so right so that that essentially has has very much shaped modern american culture and consumerism historically but is also just still very much a part of everything uh 
you know, yeah, despite yeah. some so, people's so question denial. Is, how do we stop that before we get to some Warhammer 40k God Emperor Trump situation? Because there are folks who would be really, really happy about that on the right. Uh, I think so- I just became a Posadist in this minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think we really stop it. I think there's probably a civil war and a balkanization of America, most likely. <sighs> yeah. But, uh, okay, so if, it's not if, fun. if no, no, it's not, <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's a hard topic to talk about that, that particular one, because it's not absolutely certain, but like all empires fall and it usually, and it usually had a civil war in the end. So, I mean, if you study past empires, like, We've got yeah. all the signs of decaying empire, mm-hmm. all oh, the yeah. signs like, yeah. you know, the, the mere fact of how corrupt Trump is like corruption is like one of the big signs like, OK, you like, OK, the Soviet Union, our, our great enemy of the past century, like the, you know, the more corrupt they got, the closer it was to the end. Right. It's not not right. rockets like and that's just one right. the puzzle. But like part of what was happening in late Soviet society was like everyone recognizing, wow society's completely broken yeah like it's not working for like, any of us except the like you know class that's ruling things uh what do we do about it i don't know <laughs> i i think that when the the veneer of the state you know like the way i sort of see it is that criminal gangs are just sort of competing states that don't have the air of legitimacy of the states that are actually in charge mm-hmm. um and you know, so I mean, it's kind of like you can go and look through history, and like they're they're basically the same gangs and and warlords and and like national governments. They all operate on very similar uh, practices, except that the you know national governments are the ones who uh, manage to get enough firepower to put a, you know to suppress any other resistance or competition from other warlords or gangs that uh, wanted to control something. Um, And so when that veneer starts to fall apart, when that like, when that illusion of control that the state maintains goes away and we can just see the corruption that was in many ways always there, um, it starts to like, it starts to become a, a system that that is unsustainable. Like it, it's kind of it's the internal contradictions of capitalism ultimately that uh, the decay is inevitable. But I think For that sure. maybe gives a better idea of why people accept sort of the uh, or why liberals accept like the Harry Potter mindset as opposed to the Star Wars mindset um, of resistance because Star Wars does sort of treat the empire as this uh, a failing government. It, it, it seems corrupt. It seems um, ah. But more... allow me to allow me to introduce the J.J. <laughs> Abrams trilogy and uh, the modern Star uh. Wars and the fact that it all means fucking nothing and goes fucking nowhere. And it's no, all it's just, about it's just space Nazis who are somehow in charge again because space Nazis. Right. And, and it's literally just people like worshiping them and reviving them like without any thought or, you know, it's it's all this weird uh, vacuum liberalism. It's it's so empty. It's, it, <laughs> like, well, yeah. the, the Empire in the original series is not just evil for the sake of evil. 
it is evil because it is a drive toward power that supports – I mean the, there are slave societies in Star Wars, which is like supported by the Empire. The Empire does have slaves. And so are bad things they are doing. But the main thing is that they're just evil because they want to hold on to as much power as possible. Yeah, where, they want to control as much of the galaxy as possible. Yeah. yeah. And the new series instead is just kind of like, well, they're just evil. They just want to blow up all the planets because evil. Because the Sith. Yeah. 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 Um, though it, with it, the it, exception, it, like the best of the new movies was one that actually followed regular people in the resistance. Like, I don't know. I feel like that was the best new star Wars, but yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Uh, and then you had the casino planet, which everybody hated, but I was like, yes, I like the casino planet. Show me the reality. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Haters. It, gonna it, hate. Um, but I mean, like, yeah. like the original series, it, it does have, you know, these crime lords that run entire planets, essentially. That's what Tatooine is. That's what the Hut Empire yeah. is, is that they are criminal syndicates on these planets that are ruling large chunks of uh, just uh, yeah. space I mean, civilians. Space, space civilians, yeah. Uh, like when you when you start really getting into the high level of it, uh, it becomes really hard to distinguish between uh, – you know, a government and a criminal syndicate. They ought, like, I, oh. I'm going to keep hammering on this one. Okay. But okay. Like, I mean, especially Jones, okay. how much involvement like the U S government has had in direct criminal conspiracies, like the yeah. drug war. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and the and, drug and, trade itself and yeah, weapons. No, yeah. Again, smuggling George H W Bush <laughs> oversaw a lot of that. That's part of what Iran Contra yeah. covered up. Well, we can keep so looping like, back. It's great. <laughs> yeah. You but, know, but, also, but like, you know, a lot of like you know these these colonial projects in the uh, southern hemisphere areas, um, which leads me to a question I've wanted to ask. And this is a great time to ask it: Are the uh, whatever Amidala's people are on Naboo, are they a colonizing force? Because they're clearly different species than the Gungans. They didn't both. Uh, so so uh, you're, the the conflict between the uh, humans. <laughs> And the the Gungans on Naboo—that's your classic uh, Pocahontas, Ferngully type uh, liberal fantasy about like reconciling with the natives. For oh yeah, some Avatar. Harmony Avatar's and peace a perfect example thing. of that too. Just like, but oh, we're the one with the planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's that's a different liberal archetype of just like, oh man, these people that value all these things we say we value more than we do at a fundamental level. Maybe they're right. And maybe if they would only adapt to our ways, we could implement their vision. <laughs> it's like, just it's like, like Jesus Christ. So, so at the end of the first, the first, you know, Star Wars episode one. Um, <laughs> so, so they they actually do have they they get Gungans to fight for them and be their shock troops in this war where they're going to be massacred by. Um, they're doing basically human wave attacks against a literal droid army of yeah. Uh, yeah. automatons, and they're sending real people to go fight for them. And what I'm, I'm remembering from the movie is what they promised them if they do this is peace is the big thing what? where boss nass because boss nass at the end raises that big glowing orb up and just yells peace and it's like isn't that what they're promising is basically hey we'll stop the violence of the like we're gonna we'll stop this like fighting on our planet unless trying to control the uh, gungan yeah. uh, subterranean right sub- right it's, it's essentially world. a hey we'll have peace by fighting this common enemy now you take all the losses yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean like seriously which like, is the, i'm the, sure what like, was very so similar to agreements during like the uh uh i think they called it in america it's called the french and indian war uh which preceded the american revolution where a lot of it was uh, indigenous tribes uh, had allied with the French or the British 
uh, and were fighting each other as well as long, you know, as well as the French and the British. I imagine that there were pretty similar deals going down there. Because I'd yeah, love the- to see a Star Wars universe where the Gungans play the role of the Viet Cong. Doesn't that sound fun? <laughs> that okay. Yeah, maybe I'm if, on board. if they don't all talk like Jar Jar, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Oh, actually, okay. Another thing I saw online today. This is actually an important question. Um, would you rather speak like Jar Jar Binks the rest of your life or look like Jar Jar Binks the rest of your life? Oh, you can't kill yourself. <laughs> God damn it! And, and going to a like Jamaican bar and just talking in your new Jar Jar voice counts as trying to kill yourself. Because well, those, yeah. th- those are fighting words. Those are like clearly fighting words. I can probably find some cases to back that up. <laughs> we can talk about the racism of Star Wars in later episodes. <laughs> we're not also addressing... <laughs> we're going to address sci-fi racism. It's going to have to be a different episode than addressing fantasy racism. We already yeah. Went there, so. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's certainly a lot of a lot of overlap of themes, right? I mean, it's it's this liberal conception of like these races are unique and interesting, precious creatures, but of course we're still better than them. But also, I mean, like, it, well, I that's mean, why it, the it, humans it, are always in charge and always the ones who win. And that's why the bad guys right. are allowed to be raped, which is what happens in uh, Harry Potter. Dolores Umbridge gets carried away by centaurs that rape her. That's like canon. Well, I didn't know that, but that's pretty fucked yeah, up. It, 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 it's subtly hinted at in the books, but it's there. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they just like the centaurs carry her off into the woods. And uh, Fuck. and it's okay. okay. She's a bad person. She deserves it. Couldn't they have just that's said that's more messed up like, than I ever remember. Okay. There is messed up stuff in Harry Potter. I mean, like, fuck, they have, like, you know, like, love potions that they use on each other all the fucking time. They're just kind of like, boy, they're just, they're just roofies. They're just magic roofies, and it's kind of played off. Yeah. It's funny. It's kids at school. What could happen? Oh, God. Horny teens have never raped each other before. Yeah. But it's okay, because we can overlook all of that, all the, the, the really horrible stuff in Harry Potter, because Harry Potter fights magical Nazis who... Uh, I believe actually, like the Crimes of Grindelwald, or it's either that one or it's the first. I think it's Crimes of Grindelwald, the, the newest Harry Potter movies. Um, that uh, like one of the big promises that like Grindelwald makes, and again, he's the bad guy. Like yeah. his entire shtick is he is just evil, and his promise he makes is like we're gonna like stop hiding. We're gonna come out and be like, hey, we can heal the sick in society. Um, humans and muggle, uh, sorry, uh, wizards and muggles can live together just fine. Like. So he's Magneto. Yeah, he's Magneto. He's like basically like we should, but but he's he's not like we need to kill because Magneto goes through this whole like we have to kill the humans because they're always going to hate us. And Grindelwald doesn't seem to have that. It's just kind of like, yeah, no, we're going to come out of the shadows and we're going to fight any wizard who tries to stop us because we're not going to hide anymore. And he's the bad guy for that, which if you look at it that way, it's pretty antithetical to a lot of liberal viewpoints, but they kind of seem to ignore it because he's the bad guy because the story said so yeah it's almost like the politics don't make sense and don't matter it's just about it being a compelling story <laughs> jk <laughs> rowling yeah. has no mooring in anything except her own profit being a billionaire hmm hmm yeah ah oh, i forgot she was a billionaire is she uh yes wow. <laughs> At this point. Damn it. god damn <laughs> 
Uh, for more reasons yeah. to not make a Rowling. Uh, those, uh, those film rights, uh, very profitable, it turns out. I am yeah, imagine. and I guess like all the other product stuff because I mean, uh, what, Harry Potter been world very been thing? very free with the with the trademarks there. I'm pretty sure we owe her uh, five dollars just for doing this podcast. Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> 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 um. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. So, so um, I, I'm reading random folks talking about J.K. Rowling and why Harry Potter sucks online, and this is terrific. All right, so um, it's about why people like Harry Potter uh, and why they don't like J.K. Rowling now, which is uh, Harry Potter and the Seven Books are written for people of all ages. It is fantastic, magical, and pure. The story of good and evil, story of friendship and humanity and love. What it is not is a story that distinguishes people based on race, gender, creed, sexuality, or likewise. I think that's a good part of it. Like it says, like people in the universe are not meant to be a specific race, and that's true, except for the fact that there are specific races in the world who are subjected to slave conditions, and that's a key theme in some of the books, where it's you know they're trying yeah. to uh, liberate like the house elves. Well, and I think liberals really do look are. past that. They look. They look. Well, well it's, exactly. They look at it and say, like, well, it's, it's, okay. it's in the same way as like you know. So Harry tosses a sock to one house elf. Uh, it's like it's the same as lionizing George Washington for releasing his slaves after he died. Yeah, but not fighting slavery. It, 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 it's the same root of um, why George W. Bush is considered good now. I think of he's come out and he's like you know now he's kind of cutesy and old and he's like look I, was, yeah, I did some bad stuff i was an idiot haha <laughs> it's funny and uh gets to hang out with ellen degeneres and um kind of be the the compassionate conservative he was framed as yeah meanwhile more than three hundred thousand iraqis dead and, and counting that's and a conservative counting. estimate yeah um, that's Probably uh, very low relative to the true yeah. number. And missiles still flying and people living in terror every day that there are no clouds to block the fucking drones from bombing their homes. Yeah. What an adorable mm. war criminal. Yeah. But I think that's the thing. is it's, it's liberals live in a fantasy world. Well, every political faction in America is in a fantasy world right now, right? Because no one has any material control over their own power, and everyone is still lying to themselves and telling us that this is a democracy, right? I think there are some people in positions of power who absolutely know the reality they live in. Yeah, Bill, yeah. Bill but Barr, like, one of them. Bolton, I think, was one of them. I think Bolton. Yeah, but the security state oh, yeah. runs itself is my point, right? Like, you know, the empire is failing in lots of ways, but it's also like a well-oiled machine that most of it just carries on irrespective of the daily squabbles, you know, like for now, uh, um, but for now, like, for now. and, and, and I, the wheels are coming off in a big way for sure. Coronavirus is pushing everything to the limits right yeah. now, but like, well, and the depression that's going to, you know, that is, has started. Um, yeah. but, like, but like the system will fight to preserve itself in ways that we can't, uh, foresee. You know, true. I, I mean, we can look back, though, to history a little bit. Uh, probably the last time that the U.S. government came uh, 
the most recent time that the that the U.S. government came this close to losing control was probably during the Depression, when uh, if Roosevelt had not become president and instituted uh, liberal social safety net programs, um, like people were starting to take stuff into their own hands, uh, right. like lynching judges the, well, and, and the, the militancy yeah. of that period is whitewashed from most American history because they right. want it to be just the greatness of FDR saving everyone because that's a lot more convenient. Yeah. And a lot of folks uh, I think also look at that and say like, well, look, liberals uh, from you know time immemorial looking back about a century have been the ones who stand on the side of these, you know, progressive uh, uh, social support programs. But the reality is they were just the party in charge. Like FDR wasn't an avowed socialist. He was just the one in no. charge at the time that these I programs mean, needed to be implemented. Do, do y'all know about the uh, do, y'all, do y'all know about the vice presidential struggle in uh, 44? No. Mm. So so uh, the short version is in those times there were two major factions within the Democratic Party which you might broadly call the left and the right factions of the party, oh right? So the socialist <laughs> faction and uh, the faction that was represented by Truman, the the faction that was socialist was represented by a guy named Henry Wallace primarily, and there was a literal fight on the floor of the Democratic convention that year over the vice presidential nomination because everyone knew FDR was extremely old and feeble and probably wouldn't live through an additional term, which he did not, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. and so it was a huge ideological fight for whether the socialist or you know, right wing was going to lead. And Truman was picked for the right wing in part because he was this fresh faced young rep who was seen as sort of malleable to the interests of capital relative to the socialist wing. And there was literally a fistfight on the floor with literally Wallace (laughs) delegates being prevented from voting to help, you know, ensure Truman's victory. And then he nuked Japan. (laughs) That's a happy ending. (laughs) Christ. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I think the moral of this story is that fictional political worlds are not a good guide to understanding real political worlds. I I think that's a good Usually? conclusion, and I think the next step is how do you get people to engage in real materialist politics, like for you know in whatever form? Um, because get off Twitter. I mean that Delete that's Twitter for a lot of people, but it's it's not just uh you know the big personalities on Twitter. Twitter is actually useful as an insight into the minds of these people because these extremely powerful people are posting their thoughts, you know, and it's. It's, yeah. it creates interesting moments for sure. But yeah, and when everything is caught up in Pelosi is Bay, like everything is going to suck uh. because Pelosi sucks so much, like so, so yeah. much. We didn't even talk about Pelosi yet. And oh my God, like her leadership of the house is so disastrous right now. Like it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, actually, I mean, like thinking about Pelosi, you need, I think we need to, really find some way to t- remind people or tell people that like the little shambolic victories you have of uh clapping sardonically isn't then a real, for the isn't, isn't a real political victory 
Yeah. And they see it as such. They see it as this little like, oh, look, she has some snark. Oh, boy. Well, it's it's the Trump terms for victory. It's as long as I'm the one controlling the headline, that's the victory. And it's aesthetics. I mean, that's really what it comes down to is the distinction between aesthetics and uh, material reality. Um, But I I don't know. I I think a a good way to, to close this, though. Uh, is to maybe suggest a few books for people to read. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I I think uh, for sure, if people would like to learn a little bit more about the material history of politics in America, they should read A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. Um, That goes through a lot of what actually went down in the United States uh, and how, in fact, we've had a deeply... Uh, a deeply violent and uh, turbulent political history that generally gets whitewashed in history books. Um, I'd like to recommend Inside the Jihad. It's a uh, book about someone who, uh, a journalist who placed himself with uh, Al-Qaeda during the start of the uh, war in Afghanistan after uh, uh, 2001. And um, it really details how uh basically bin laden won like the entire goal of 9-11 was accomplished which is to draw america into a quagmire war in the middle east that they can never leave and cannot win and uh they succeeded in that pretty handily um it, it dispels a lot of the myth of uh we're there fighting for freedom yeah um and puts a lot of uh good stories about just how badly we fucked up every single part of uh, invading and being an occupying force. <laughs> so yeah, highly recommended. Uh, I, I, there's several books I could recommend. Yeah. I guess one would be uh, death of the liberal class by Chris Hedges, pretty relevant to a lot of the things we were talking about, about uh, sort of how liberal elite politics have disappeared to this anti-politics of uh, pop culture fluff. Uh, essentially. Uh, and then, yeah. you know, I think also we should be looking forward at to the types of politics we can forge in the future. So, uh, read some book chin, everybody. Yeah, no, yeah. There's, there's some good, uh, book chin essays. Maybe we should put like one of them in the, uh, the text for this. They're all, we'll put, we'll put some, <laughs> we'll put some links to some good sources to get started on your own political education. Um, and then, you know, of course, go on from there. Read what you want. Uh, learn a little bit more about the history of, uh, of the world and of politics generally. Well, okay. Yeah. I think that's about it for now. So, you know, it's a long road. <laughs> it's a long road, but uh, we, we really don't know where we're going. But we'll get uh, there together. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> All right. <laughs> thank you all for listening uh simon thank you for jumping in again um thanks for having yeah, me on we really appreciate it yeah anytime um so we'll talk to you all next week <laughs>